Welcome to Modern Aikidoist Podcast. My sincere thanks to listeners and those who have liked, subscribed, and commented. Your interest is noticed and deeply appreciated. I've received some fantastic comments from a few recent podcasts which are good enough that I want to share them with you. They come from someone who is an elite caliber martial artist and who trains in other arts, but also has had a bit of exposure to Aikido. The points that he brings up are excellent. The first one is in response to my most recent podcast, The Upsides and Downsides of Pain Compliance. When it comes to joint locks, the original application, if you go way back in time, was to destroy the joint, not to control the body. Using a joint lock to control a body is something that very likely evolved from both training not to injure training partners and no longer having to break people's limbs on a regular basis. Breaking joints was more common and likely in the samurai era when hand-to-hand combat was far more frequent than it is nowadays. As civilians, we are just not faced with real violence as often as professional soldiers of ages past were. Even Osensei stated that true Aikido, as in Aikido which was not toned down for demonstration or training, was very likely to cause injury or death to an attacker. He not only said this, he lived it with at least one instance where he broke an attacker's arm during a demonstration. This is a good example that joint locks are, or were, meant to be destructive. The only way to practice them effectively without causing harm to your training partner is to have your training partner recognize the bad position they are in and initiate ukemi to get out of it without injury. Of course, nage must lower down the level of explosiveness of the lock to give the uke enough time to move his whole body out of it. The person commenting admitted that even knowing this, some Aikido tends to look fake because there is so little time spent in the actual lock position before the attacker smoothly rolls out of it. After years of practice where Aikidoka are so used to knowing what is about to happen, it just doesn't look real. Some Aikido I've seen has strayed so far from real application that it has become a fully choreographed dance, and it is certainly not applicable against a live attacker with full intention. That strays into another topic, so let's get back onto the point. Without significant training at skill at Ukemi, a well-applied joint lock would likely destroy the joint well before the attacker could figure out how to get out of it. Many times the Ukemi to evade a lock is not obvious. Even when brand new students get a slow Nikyo applied to them, which is a wrist lock, they often don't know to move away from the pain by kneeling down. They remark that it is painful, but they have no idea what to do about it. Once they are shown to kneel down to help relieve the pain, they do it, but it often takes being shown or told how to respond in order to save pressure to their wrist. At full speed and intensity, without knowing how to evade it, they would likely end up injured. That is, if the Aikidoka applied the lock with the explosiveness it was originally designed for. The beauty of a joint lock is that it can be destructive by using it explosively, or it can be used to control the whole body with only a minor modification of speed and leverage. While Aikidoka tend to practice for control, it would very likely be more explosive in a real self-defense situation due to the effects of adrenaline. Adrenaline gives you greater strength and speed and tends to interfere with your fine motor skills and sense of touch. These effects of adrenaline can make the more subtle manipulations needed for joint control far more difficult. In that instant you apply the joint lock, you may likely apply more power and explosiveness than you are planning on. I don't think there is a way to train against the effects of a significant amount of adrenaline in your system while being able to maintain fine motor control and a sensitive touch. These points are a great perspective on pain and injury, and one that clearly has evolved over time. We must keep this in mind as we train so we do not lose the understanding of the role and function many of these locks have in violence. 
It is easy to lose that perspective when we are rarely, if ever, in situations where we apply our locks in a high-intensity situation. This concept may sound out of place with our modern, peaceful sensibilities. However, if someone has a broken arm, elbow, or wrist, their ability to harm you becomes more limited. They may also seriously rethink their decision to continue attacking you. The idea of injuring someone is not a pleasant one, but it may be necessary. With an art which specializes in joint locks, it is likely to happen. That is what Osensei seemed to state outright. The role of a temi comes into play here as well. If you apply any joint lock with the intent of a strike behind it, you will very likely cause damage to that joint. A temi used this way is more than a strike to distract. Strikes used like this are clearly useful tools in hand-to-hand -to -hand conflict. It appears that a temi over time has become toned down to train safely as well, and I think that has led to a distortion about its importance and exact role in Aikido. From what I've seen, very few Aikidoka use practical atemi, and some don't use it at all. When they do, their atemi are completely useless and provide no benefit or function. They are wasted time and motion. A few years ago, I tried to research the statement, Aikido is X percent atemi. The X percent ranged from 70% to 99%, depending on who supposedly said it and where it was stated. I spent quite a bit of time only to find there was no definitive answer. Gozo Shioto was quoted as saying it was 75%, and if I recall correctly, he said he was quoting Osensei. Evidently, Osensei himself either said or wrote 90%, 95%, and 99%. I was never able to successfully pin down a definitive source for exactly what Osensei said. Maybe he said all of them. If so, he wouldn't be the first martial arts instructor to say different things at different times, and he surely won't be the last. What I came away with was that the exact percentage is not important, but there was a clear consensus that Atemi plays a major role in Aikido. These are not from secondary or obscure sources either, but from the founder and those who were most capable and successful with Aikido. The modern Aikido community largely disapproves of the use of Atemi, and I think that does Aikido a huge disservice. You cannot claim to adhere to the principles of the art when you summarily reject such a major component which was strongly endorsed by that art's expert practitioners. No, you don't need to be injuring your training partners to build your understanding of a temi and your ability to apply a temi. The second point was in response to the podcast, What Makes Aikido a Viable Martial Art in Today's Combat Landscape? His point was so obvious that I'm kind of kicking myself for overlooking it. And that is, Aikido is the only art to train students to deal with multiple attackers. Most martial arts and martial sports are linear arts, where a single opponent is almost guaranteed. Aikido is a three-dimensional art and has techniques which are easy to use in a dynamic environment where other attackers may be present. A throw is a good example of this. If you throw an attacker on a mat, he pretty much just goes down on the ground and gets back up. In a self-defense situation, you may throw him into the side of a dumpster, a car, a wall, or a door frame. He probably won't be quite so quick to come back at you. Even more important, though, is that throws tend to be quick to do and free you up to deal with another attacker right away. This is a trait of Aikido that other arts either don't have or don't do very much of. As I stated in previous podcasts, Aikido dojos tend to train differently, sometimes very differently. In my experience from asking around, some dojos do very little, if any, training against multiple opponents. And this is really a shame. Training against multiple attackers, even in slower-speed Jiawaza exercises, is extremely useful in teaching the skills of managing the space around you and taking into account new attackers. I find it is very enjoyable and fun to train this way, and I'm surprised more people don't do it. 
they really are missing out on a great experience. Managing where you throw ukes is something that needs practice because it builds practical skills. An example of this is if I go to throw an attacker who's in front of me and I perceive an attacker to be behind me, I would choose to throw the uke behind me in the hopes of throwing him into the second attacker's way. However, if my wife is standing behind me, I would choose to throw my attacker in another direction or apply a different technique. I might also choose a different direction if I know that throwing uke behind me might have him tumbling down a stairwell or over a ledge which might kill him. The decisions I make have everything to do with the environment. One thing I have done to add some of these considerations is to put obstacles on the dojo floor when training randori. These can be used either as cover or things to throw people into. This sharpens up the spatial awareness of both Nage as well as Uke, who has to adjust their ukemi to deal with the lack of space to roll. The third point I want to bring up comes from a comment which appeared on the YouTube channel. The commenter was told that Aikido could only be done from a committed attack. This is a common belief about Aikido, and not just among Aikido practitioners either. After about two years of training Aikido, I got together with an old friend. The topic of Aikido came up and he stood proudly in front of me with his hands on his hips and said, your Aikido won't work on me because I'm not attacking you. This statement made little sense to me at the moment, and while we laughed it off, it did make me reflect on the concept that Aikido could be rendered ineffective because someone was standing still. This idea seemed to be utter nonsense. The only rationalization I could come up with that made even a shred of sense was that Aikido was a reactionary art. Reactionary in the sense that Aikido only responds to attacks, and if someone does not present an attack, then no response can be initiated. I've heard a number of Aikidoka state this concept, but it really doesn't stand up to scrutiny. It also omits the Aikido principle of Shoto Oseizu, which means control the first move. The best argument you can make to support it is that if someone is not attacking you, then no attempt to control or subdue them is necessary or justified. It certainly doesn't mean that any of Aikido's physical techniques would be impossible to apply. Often we envision having to use Aikido or any given martial art when someone else has decided to physically attack us. In fact, that may be a likely and probable scenario. But there may be other situations where subduing somebody before they initiate a physical attack may be necessary. Imagine a belligerent drunk, for example, who is verbally antagonizing you, but who has not yet thrown a punch. If you see him go from calm to agitated and still escalating, wouldn't it be wiser to intervene physically before the risk of having him actually attack increases? This is the very nature of how bouncers and bar staff handle belligerent drunks. They try to corral them and coax them out of the company of peaceful guests, but waiting until he starts throwing punches is a poor strategy. Of course, negotiation should be the first option, but anyone who has dealt with a drunk knows that talking to them can sometimes be fruitless. If you want to make sure that they don't harm anyone nearby, physical control to some degree or another may be necessary. Aikido is well suited to this kind of application, and there is no committed attack needed to initiate control. Therefore, I think the commonly held belief that Aikido needs a committed attack for Aikido to work is a myth. At very least, it reflects a profound misunderstanding of real physical conflict and how human conflict starts well before a conflict crosses the line from verbal to physical violence. As you can see, all these points brought up by listeners are well worth considering, so I made this podcast to share them with you. Thank you to the listeners who have supported this podcast with your likes, comments, and subscriptions. You can now support this show another way, by donating. I admit I'm shy about mentioning donations, but as podcasts are becoming more popular, the emerging standard is to receive support through donations. I find advertising is annoying, and I'm not interested in subjecting my listeners to ads. 
I'm passionate about Aikido and the future of the art, and producing these podcasts is enjoyable to me. I very much hope you find them interesting and they give you good things to think about for your own martial journey. You can contribute through the Sponsor This Podcast link or the one-time donation link on this podcast page. If you're listening to this podcast on other platforms, such as Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, follow the link that says Support This Podcast. I will put a link to the podcast page in the description area of the YouTube video. Any contribution is deeply appreciated. Your input and support helps podcasts like these stay around. Enjoy your training.